0: God has been good to us. Anybody can have that testimony that God has been good. I said, Has God been good to anybody in this house? Amen. We thank God that He's been so good to us, and we praise Him for everything that He. For us, even in this season. And for those of you who are watching us by live stream, we welcome you to the sanctuary here in Bright Temple, Amen, where we're giving God the glory even in person, and we welcome you to join us to give God praise online because God has been good, and for that we are grateful and we are thankful, Amen, for everything that He has done. We know that this year has been a test. Amen. I know that 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 that, that certainly has been. My testimony its certainly been a test this year. It's been a trial. It has been a large obstacle for many of us. But something that I shared on last week is that it depends on how we look at things. Perspective is so important. Last week we shared that David, when he went down to deliver that lunch to his brothers, he saw Goliath. Now, everybody else who was in the army saw Goliath as a big problem. But David saw Goliath as a big opportunity. David said, what shall be done for the man who kills this giant? I pray that you'll check your perspective. Yes, 2020 has been challenging for all of us. And yes, it's been daunting, but we need not be fearful. We don't need to be afraid. Instead of looking at it as a big problem, We ought to reimagine, understand that God is with us, and begin to see 2020 as a big opportunity. Amen.
1: Follow me in the
0: word, if you will, to John, the fourth chapter. That's John chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 19. And then we'll look again at verse 28. Again, that is John chapter 4. We'll look at verses five, I said five through 19. And then we'll look again at verse 28. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so my version may vary a bit from yours. I'm gonna be reading several passages into your hearing, so if our musicians will continue to play softly as I read several verses here. John chapter 4, verse 5 says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this water. Will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So the woman left her jar, verse 28. It says, so the woman left her jar, water jar, and went away into town and said to the people that I have met a prophet that has told me everything about myself. Lord, in these few ministry moments, these few destiny moments, allow our hearts and our spirits and our minds to be open to what you have to say to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We began our series for the fall. We said 2020, this is the final quarter, the final three months, the final quarter of the year. This is 2020, the final quarter. That's been our series. And we shared on last week, on the beginning before last week, we shared, who do you trust? We were talking about you examining the people who are on your team, the people who, you, who are with you. Last week, we shared, how do you see yourself? And in examining how powerful that is, we're going to give you part two of that this morning. How do you see yourself? Part two. How do you see yourself? When I begin to understand and God was enriching my understanding of the importance of how we view ourselves. We talked about it last week as it relates to the children of Israel. There in Numbers 13 and how they had gone out to spy the land of Canaan, a land that God had promised them. But when they re- the spies returned, they had an evil report. They said that we looked like we felt like grasshoppers and that we also in our own mind considered ourselves that the others were looking at us as grasshoppers, too. They said we were grasshoppers in our own sight. And so were we grasshoppers in their sight. And we talked about that mentality of feeling like you're insignificant, that you're not enough, that you're not important enough, and trying to overcome that when you understand that God is with you, understanding what is in you. And when I began to consider going forward with this thought and trying to dig deeper into what the Bible tells us about looking and viewing ourselves, It brought me here to the passage of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. I believe it's contextual also in relation to the backdrop of this election season that we have been in. The reason I believe it's contextual because I begin to understand that the reason that some people are so passionate about their candidates, they're so passionate about their parties, they're so passionate about their ideologies, is because they have allowed that to become part of their identity. It's become part of how they see themselves. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But what I, we see here, first of all, is this woman and Jesus meeting at the well for the same purpose. The reason they are meeting at the well is that they both desire water. They both desire something to drink. They are both satisfying a base need of their flesh. We all get thirsty in the physical sense. But what we find here is that while Jesus was satisfying the physical need of his thirst, he is encumbered by a woman who not only has the physical need to drink water to satisfy thirst, But she has been living a life that shows that she is thirsty all the time. Not just not just the type of thirst that can be satisfied by water, but a type of thirst that she has that she's been trying to quench with other things. And many of you, you know that if it's not you, you know, you have relatives like that. You have friends like that. They're always seeking to satisfy a desire that's on the inside of them. They always behave as if they're thirsty. They're always seeking something. Some people, we we know there are people out there who just they're thirsty for validation. They post something on Facebook and if somebody doesn't like it, they, they crumble on the inside. Because they are seeking validation. They are seeking someone to tell them that they're special. They're seeking someone to affirm what they believe. They're seeking someone to help them justify their existence. They're seeking someone to make them feel like they are important. They are thirsty for validation. There are people out there, not only are they thirsty for validation, some of them are just thirsty for relationships and, and the reason they continually get in relationship after relationship. Some of these are physical relationships. Some of these are sexual relationships. Some of them are just having somebody near them all the time. You know, somebody like this in your life. They cannot stand to be alone. They always have to have be in a relationship. They always have to have somebody with them. They always have to be surrounded by people. They always have to be in a crowd because they need that crowd to satisfy a thirst that's on the inside of them. And the problem with many of these people who are thirsty is that they don't realize that all of the thirst that they have of their flesh, of their minds, of their spirits, of their body, of their emotion could be satisfied With God alone. If if they only had a true relationship with God, that God would satisfy the thirst of their flesh, that God would satisfy the thirst of their spirits, that God would satisfy the thirst that has caused them to embarrass themselves. Because when you keep going out there trying to satisfy these thirsts with other things, at some point your flesh will embarrass you. Sati- trying to satisfy the thirst with alcohol and by being so thirsty and, and being overindulging many times you find your situa- yourself in situations that embarrass you trying to satisfy this thirst with drugs. And in, and in the pursuit of, of trying to acquire the drugs, they can find themselves in embarrassing situations and even legal situations. Because they're trying to satisfy thirst on the inside when they try and satisfy it with people when they go from bed to bed, a relationship to relationship. They wake up one morning and they look in the mirror and they don't even recognize themselves. They find themselves in an embarrassing situation because they're trying to satisfy a thirst that they have on the inside. With things of the flesh. But what I have found. Is that any time you try to satisfy what's what's in the spirit with things of the flesh, you'll come to a reckoning where you recognize I've done wrong. You'll find yourself in the mirror crying. You'll find yourself alone, balled up in a corner saying, why did I do that? Why did I put myself in that position? Why did I find myself in this situation? I'm trying to satisfy a longing and a thirst that I have on the inside with fleshly things. And these things of the flesh, they're only temporal. That's what Jesus is saying here. When Jesus says to her, when Jesus says to her regarding the water in verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's not just talking about the water. He's talking about the temporal things of the flesh that we try to use to satisfy the thirst of our soul on the inside. If you smoke, you can smoke weed, but you're going to be thirsty again. You can drink all the alcohol that you can get your hands on, but you're going to be thirsty again. You can sleep with every woman and every man that will do it with you, and you'll still be thirsty again. You'll be in it. You can go into relationship after relationship after relationship, but you'll still be thirsty again. You're trying to satisfy a thirst of your soul with something of the flesh. And you still find yourself thirsty. Notice how Jesus, Jesus, Jesus didn't didn't equivocate here. He said, everyone who drinks of this water, everyone will be thirsty again. The thing about trying to satisfy and being eager and desperate with our thirst. We become reckless and dangerous in our pursuits. We become hopeless in our pursuits. What we need to understand is we don't ever need to allow what we need or or uh, the position that we're in to compromise where God told us to be. Don't allow your current condition to compromise your position. Don't allow your current condition to compromise your position. What do you mean by that? That means I might be thirsty. But I'm not going to compromise my morals. I'm not going to compromise what I stand for just to get something that I desire in that moment. Let me give you the perfect example of that. That's Esau. Jacob went to Esau and Esau had been out on the field and he was he was thirsty. He was was hungry. His body was drenched. It needed sustenance. And what did Jacob the trickster do to him? He recognized that he was in a desperate situation. And he said to Esau, while you're desperate, while you're hurting, while you're hungry, while your body's drained. He said, give me and sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright and I'll give you something to eat. Sell me your birthright and I'll give you something to drink. Jacob was saying, compromise your position just because of your current condition. And I'm telling you, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever compromise your position in God because of your current condition. Just because you're going through something right now, don't give up what God gave you. Just because you're upset and frustrated in a moment, don't lose your authority and position with God. Let me give you an example that resonates with you. You might be upset at work, but people look up to you. They think they think highly of you. They listen to your advice. They see you as a representative of God and Christ where you work. But in one moment of anger, you can fly off the handle. You can cut somebody out and then you lose your position just because of your condition. You being upset in that moment can compromise that position of authority that God has given you in that workplace, in that place where you have influence. You can allow that that anger that comes just for that moment to compromise the position where God has placed you. Don't ever allow your condition to compromise your position. Don't ever allow that to happen. This woman here. She was in a position and she had put herself constantly in a position where she did that, constantly putting herself in relationship, constantly giving her body over and over to Ben, giving it over in marriage, giving it over and over again because she was thirsty. Her soul was crying out for something that she was trying to satisfy with her flesh. And I came to tell you, baby, if you feel like it's satisfying you, it's only temporary. Remember what God's word said. He's not just talking about water. He's talking about sex. He's talking about drugs. He's talking about alcohol. He's talking about relationships. He's talking about social media validation. All of those things are the waters that everyone who takes of them. You may drink of it. But you will thirst again. Notice that Jesus himself. I told you Jesus and woman and the woman met there for the same purpose. They were both thirsty. They both wanted to quench their thirst. But Jesus, even while he's there, he's tired. He's exhausted. His thirst needs to be quenched. But he didn't allow that condition. To compromise his position, he still understood that even while I'm tired, I still need to minister to this woman. I see this as an opportunity to reach this woman. I may not have this opportunity again. And that's why I tell you it's so important that you can't be a Christian from nine to five. You can't clock in and clock out when you want to be a Christian. It it is a 24 seven responsibility because you never know when you have an opportunity to reach somebody. You never know when God will put somebody in your way and it's your chance to reach that person. And maybe you are uniquely positioned to reach that person and nobody else can. You can't put your relationship with God on the shelf. You can't put down your salvation. You can't clock out from being a Christian. You have to be a Christian all the time. Can't clock out from being a Christian because it's election season. Because you need to tell some people about themselves because it's election season. You can't be a Christian uh, only when you're not on Facebook. And when you're on Facebook and social media, you you, you take on another identity and you're somebody else. You still have to be yourself. You can't put down the bloodstained banner just to pick up the keyboard and type some things so you can tell people how they how they ought to think. Tell people how they ought to feel. Tell people how they ought to believe. Sometimes you can spend so much time on your social media persona that you forget who you are. You can lose your identity. Several times they talk about people who who get on social media and, and they're social media bullies, but they forget in person they really can't fight. So on social media, they all bold and everything, you know, talking strong and talking big until somebody asks, I, I tells them, I know where you live. Then there, there's a little reality check. Hold on. I, I'm talking big with these keys, but, but in, in reality, I really can't fight. So maybe I need to calm down. I I don't need to lose my identity just because I'm on social media. I can't put down my Christianity or my salvation just because I'm using a keyboard to communicate at all times. Being a Christian is a 24 seven responsibility because in that that little remark that you make to somebody else, that little thing that you share. You never know who you may lose in that moment. On social media, Christians, be careful what you post, be careful what you like, be careful what you share, because people are watching you. They're watching you. And just because you're posting with an avatar instead of your picture. It still has your name attached to. It. It still has your name attached to. It. And you can't lose your Christianity. Christianity. Because you were angry for a moment again, do not compromise your position because of your condition. And I know I know how many people felt that I I empathize with you. I sympathize with you. I know how the black community felt in 2016. When Donald Trump was elected, I know how many of you were were disappointed. You were hurt. You were frustrated. You didn't understand. Lord, some of you felt like God had abandoned you. But you know what? We're still here. We still made it. We're still okay. The nation's still here. You've still been blessed. And you know what? God's still in control. And now there are others. For those who who felt one way in 2016, others feel a different way this year. Some of them are feeling frustrated. Some are are, are feeling like God has abandoned them. Some is feeling like the world is coming to an end. Some don't see how they can make it for the next four years. But I came to tell us all, we share in this human experience. Those who felt one way in 2016, now those in 2020 can can empathize with them. And then those who felt a certain way in 2016 and 2020, those in 2016 can empathize with them. We share in this human experience together. You know what we ought to not do? We ought to not cancel people, shouldn't put set people to the side, shouldn't shouldn't say that 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 people are ugly and evil and, and, and unredeemable. I praise God that God didn't put me to the side. I praise God that he didn't say that I was unredeemable. I praise God that he didn't say that I was beyond hope. But even if you're upset or frustrated by, by the results, or even if you're happy or jubilant about them, don't lose your witness. Don't lose your witness. Because my, uh, one of the things they teach you when I was a young man playing sports, you, they teach you to be a good winner and be a good loser. There is a certain way to behave in both respects. There's a certain way to treat your neighbor because the important thing is how do you how are you treating other people? And are you treating them as you desire to be treated? Are you doing that? But then it it, it frustrated me because on last week we were talking about how you see yourself. And then during the course of this week, I I began to see so many emotions from people, particularly on social media, that I, I did not contemplate. I did not understand. I did not understand why so many people were were devastated by the results. And on the other hand, I did not understand why some people were so jubilant about the results. Because I began to appreciate that people were really tied up in the results of this election. And I began to ponder, I began to say, Lord, why why are are people so tied up in the results of of this election? And God began to speak to me. And he said, the reason is people have begun to tie up their identity into politics. People have begun to tie their identity into ideologies. By ideologies, I mean conservative or liberal. People have begun to I, 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 tie up their identities into Joe Biden or Donald Trump. They are are inextricably causing themselves to, to, they can't see where the party or the candidate or the ideology ends and where they begin. So they internalize the results. Some people were devastated, devastated in 2016 because their identity had been so tied up into Barack Obama and the Democratic Party. Their identity was tied up into them. And so when when secretary Clinton lost, they were devastated. Because part of their identity, they feel had lost. So when the candidate lost, they felt like they lost. And I see it again here in 2020, as it seems like President Trump is on the precipice of losing. Seems like he's on the precipice. There has been so much strong emotion and I, I couldn't understand. But God began to reveal to me. It's that people, even preachers and prophets and Christians that should know better. Have tied their identity to a party, have tied their identity to an ideology have tied their identity to President Trump, tying their identity to a politician. So they feel to to a degree, if he loses, they lose. If, If Republicans lose, they lose. If Democrats lose, they lose. When the candidate loses, they lose. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter the results of the election. Baby, they might lose. But that doesn't mean you lose. That that doesn't mean you lose. That that doesn't mean your, your life is altered. That doesn't mean your destiny is canceled. That doesn't mean what God has promised you has changed. The thing about it is America didn't promise it to me. I'm so glad America didn't promise it to me. Because sometimes America is falling short in its promises. So I don't have to be devastated when America falls short in its promises because I didn't rely upon America. My promises came from God. I'm not worried when a candidate falls short on their promises. The candidate's gonna say whatever they need to say to get elected. But those are not the promises that I'm counting on. The promises that I'm counting on came from God. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter which political party is in charge of Congress. I'm not waiting on my congressman or congresswoman to come through on their promises because those are not the promises I'm relying upon. I'm relying upon the promises of God. And one thing, if God said it, if God said, if God said, if God said it, baby, it's already done. It's all, somebody say it's already done. It's already done. So when I begin to realize that we compromise who we are by tying our identity to other people, it brings me back to the text. When I came back to the text and Jesus began to minister to the woman, Jesus was trying to tell her, do you know who's in front of you? Do you recognize who's in front of you? Then they begin to talk about worship. And then the woman, you know what the woman said? The woman said, we worship God in this mountain. This is the mountain where we worship God. In other words, she was tying her identity in with the mountain. Well, what, baby, what if the mountain fell? (laughs) What if an earthquake came along and disintegrated the mountain? What if an earthquake came along and leveled the mountain? She was tying her identity and her religion and her God into the inanimate object of the mountain. She was doing the same thing we do when we are tying our identity in with a politician or tying it in with an ideology. If something happens to the mountain, then she's crushed. She felt like she's lost. She felt like she's lost direction. But Jesus is saying, baby, if you understood who's right in front of you and that's what happened. Let me give you this. When we tie up our identity into the wrong things, we can miss who's right in front of. How, how how many opportunities might be passing in front of your face while you're crying about your candidate losing? How, how many opportunities are are you missing out on because you out in the street celebrating for a candidate you'll probably never meet? Come come in here with me now. You're so tied into that candidate. You're so tied into that party. You're so tied into that ideology. You might miss what is right in front of you. Jesus said, baby, if you understood the gift of God that is right in front of you. Stop focusing on other people's lives and focus on yourself. Don't worry about what 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 don't worry about what party controls Congress. Because. You need to work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling. And that takes all of your consec- all of your concentration. That takes all of your focus. God says, stop worrying about what I'm doing for other people and focus on what I'm doing for you right now. And I came to tell somebody right now, you've been distracted by the pandemic. You've been distracted by the racial tension. You've been distracted by the election. And in all your focus going everywhere else, you missed out on what God has put right in front of you. You're focusing on the problem and God's trying to bring you an opportunity. God said, my word is not derailed by COVID-19. My promises don't change in the middle of racial turmoil. My, My destiny that I've designed to you does not change as a result of the election. But whatever I have promised you, God said it, I believe it, and I'm accepting what God is doing in my life right now. Don't miss what's right in front of you. Somebody say it's right in front of me. This woman, she she was so focused on what she had done before. So focused on being thirsty all of her life that she was missing out on what God that God was standing right in front of her. Jesus was trying to offer her an opportunity. He said he said, I can give you water from which you'll never have to thirst again. He said, everybody who drinks of the other water, he said, you will be thirsty again. He said, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give you will never be thirsty again. You know what the woman said? She said, sir, give me some of that water. At least she had her, she had her head on straight. She had a mind right enough to hear what Jesus said. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm tired. You know what she said? So I won't be thirsty again. And notice what else she said. So I don't have to keep putting my bucket down in this well and keep drawing that water. That's hard. I haven't had to do it. I've seen it done. But I, I, I can imagine putting the bucket down in the well and drawing the water back up. Come on, who got some saints in who done that? That, that, that doesn't look easy trying to pull the rope and that bucket of water up that deep, steep well just so you can get a drink of water. That's not easy. So she said, Lord, give me some of that water so I don't have to dip in the well. And so I don't have to be thirsty again. But Jesus said, well, before you do that. He said, I need you to understand your own identity. I need you to understand who you are. So he said to her, he, he, he met her and talked to her about the thing that she had tied her identity into. And I wonder what, what, what God would say to you. Notice he's trying to give her the water well she'll never thirst again. But he's saying the greatest impediment to you receiving this water is the thing that you've tied your identity into. So he says to her, go get your husband. Why is he saying, go get your husband? In other words, what he's really saying is go get the thing. That has stolen your identity. Think about that for a moment. Go grab the very thing that you've tied your identity into. And I don't, I don't, you don't have to answer the question, but what did you tie your identity to? Have you tied it to a relationship? Have you tied it to a job? Have you tied it to a check? Have you tied it to your finances? Have you tied tied it to a politician? Have you tied it to an ideology? God said, I need you to go destroy the idol that has stolen your identity. Because anything that you put before God is an idol. And God said, I will have no other gods before me. He said, if you want to drink of this water for which you'll never thirst again, I need you to go and destroy every idol in your life. And the first idol I need you to destroy is this unhealthy relationship that you have with other men. Because that has become your idol. That has compromised your identity. And he said, if I can, if we can destroy that, he said, then I can give you this water. From which you'll never thirst again. I came to ask somebody, what idol do you need to take down in your life? What idol has compromised your own identity? What is it that is more important to you than God? He said, Go get your husband. And then you know what happened? The women, woman stopped thinking about Jesus and what was on the outside. And she started thinking about what was on the inside. I can see her crying. I can see her tearing up and say, Lord, I don't have a husband. And you know what she what she really said when she said, I don't have a husband. She was saying, I don't have an identity. I don't have an identity because I only feel like I'm worthy of anything if I have a husband, I only feel like I'm worthy of anything. If I have a man, I only feel like I'm worthy of anything if I have a certain job. I only feel like I'm worthy of anything if I'm making a certain amount of money. I only feel like I'm worthy if people validate me on social media. I only feel like I'm worthy if I look a certain way. I gotta have a certain wig on with my, with my fake eyelashes and all my makeup. That's all. That's what his tie, That's how I tie in my identity. That's what I've tied into my worth. Baby, don't allow that to become your idol. Don't allow that to vanquish your identity. God reached into her heart when he asked her the simple question, where is your husband? Go get your husband. And the woman had to reach down into her own heart, into her own spirit, into her own soul and recognize I don't have a husband and therefore in my mind I do not have an identity because I've tied up my identity in having a man, in having a husband. I'm telling you, For those who are single, it's okay to seek a husband. It's okay to seek a wife. But first of all, you need to know who you are. Your identity is not tied up in your relationship because you have to make it to heaven by yourself. You do not go to heaven as a couple. Come in here with me now. there, There is not a two for one special. You go to heaven by yourself, by how you live. You have to have your own identity. You have to know who you are and you have to crush and vanquish any idol that has stolen your or compromised your identity. Jesus said, go get your husband. He said, I don't have a husband. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel competent. I don't even understand who I am when I'm not married, when I'm not in a relationship. I have lost my identity. But Jesus said, let me help you here. He said, you've had five husbands. And the one that you're with now is not your husband. He's not your husband. You know what he was was trying to say to him? said you've tried five times to figure out who you are to the point now that you have a man living in your house just so you can try to figure out who you are. Let me tell you something. Ladies, men. Having a man or woman in your house with a ring on their finger will not help you figure out who you are. It will not help you figure out who you are. In fact, before you get a husband and before you get a wife, you need to figure out who you are. Maybe I haven't found them. Get this, because I haven't found me. I haven't found me. Why am I looking for them when I haven't found myself? The Bible says he that findeth the wife, finding the good thing. He might be out there looking, but he can't find you because you don't know who you are. Maybe I need to figure out who I am before I tie myself in a relationship with somebody else. I tell you this because it's important because there are so many relationships out there where people are being emotionally abused. And the reason you're being abused is because you don't know who you are. When you know who you are, you'll stand up for yourself. When you know who you are, you have a level of expectation. Because you need to know, baby, I'll take this, but baby, I ain't taking that. I wish somebody were in here with me right now. There's a standard. There's a standard if you're going to be in a relationship with me. But if you don't know who you are, then you can't have a standard. How can you have a standard for what you will accept until you know who you are? You need to stop praying, Lord, help me find a woman. Lord, help me find a man. And you need to start praying, Lord, help me find me. Help me find me. While I'm trying to figure out if I'm a Democrat or if I'm a Republican, don't worry about that. Help me find me. Am I a conservative or am I a liberal? Lord, forget about that. Help me find me. I'm voting for candidates to be president and I don't know who I am. Lord, help me find me. Say that. We say, Lord, help me find me. Help me find me. Help me find me. Help me find me. He said, you've had five husbands. And then he said, and the one you're with right now is not your husband. And then she said, well, you, you must be a prophet. He said, because you have a, a, a better understanding, get this, of who I am than I do. That's what she was impressed by. It was not just the knowledge of what Jesus was presenting to her. It was the fact that Jesus had a better understanding of her identity than she had of her own. That means she began to appreciate that's the water that he's talking about. That's the water that Jesus is talking about. Because when I find myself in God, then I don't need anybody else to validate who I am. When I have Jesus working on the inside of me, I can post things on my wall and don't have to post them on social media because I like it myself. I don't need you to like it. I can take a picture of myself and put it on my wall in my house and I'll put a thumbs up on it because I like it. It doesn't matter to me whether you like it. Because I appreciate my identity, I understand who I am. I don't have to go crying when people don't like me because I like me. Oh, somebody say it for yourself, say I like me. Say it again like you mean, say, I like me. Those on social media posted hashtag it, say, I like me. God said the key to you loving other people is you loving yourself. He said you ought to love your neighbor as you love yourself. To love yourself, you have to know who you are. How do you, how can you love yourself if you don't know who you are? You have to find your identity and begin to appreciate all that you are. Begin to appreciate your shortcomings. Begin to appreciate your strengths. Begin to appreciate yourself through the eyes of God. Stop seeing yourself through the lens of other people and see yourself the way God sees you. Wish you would, I wish you could just do it. Get, get a vision of how God sees you. God didn't put me here by accident. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care how long they were in your life. I don't care if they loved you or if they didn't. Baby, you're here for a purpose and you are not an accident. You are the intentional will of God. God told the prophet he said before you even formed into your mother's womb. I knew who you were. Before you were conceived, I already had a concept of your personality, of who you would be. And he said, and because I loved you, you ought to learn to love yourself. You have to see yourself the way that God sees you. You have to learn to love yourself the way that God loves you. But to love yourself, you have to see yourself for who you are. You know what transformed in this woman's life? And I'm finished. The transformation that occurred in this woman's life was inspired by Jesus' question. He asked her about her husband and told her that she had five husbands. And the one she was living with right now was not her husband. But the real transformation occurred in this woman's life is when she left her water pot. That's why I want you to look at verse 28. Jesus had talked to her. He had prophesied to her. And then it says in verse 28, it says, so the woman left her water jar and went into town. She left her water jar. That means she abandoned her previous purpose because she understood that she had a purpose greater than the water jar. She had a purpose that was greater than the water pot that she had taken down with her to the well. She made a decision when she laid that down. She said, I'm not worried about physical water. She said, I want some of that water that where I will never thirst again. And I came to ask somebody today, what do you need to put down? What do you need to lay down on your way to destiny? What do you need to lay down on your way to realizing your true identity to getting a better understanding of who you are? What do you need to lay down? This woman laid down the water pot. She laid down her previous purpose. This woman began to walk in new purpose. And as she went to the town to testify to others about what she'd observed, she began to see herself. For the first time, that's all I want you to do today. I want you to allow this word to help you see yourself. For maybe the first time, see who you really are. Strip away all the other things that we use to identify ourselves and begin to look and appreciate you for who you really are. Who you are is above your gender. Who you are is above your race. Who you are is above your ethnicity. Who you are is above your ideology. Who you are is above a, a party, a political party. Who you are is above a politician. Who you are is above your relationships. Who you are is above where you were born. Who you are is above your parents. You need to see yourself the way that God sees you. You need to see yourself relative to your own purpose. Why did God put me here? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Why did God put me here? Who did God put me here for? Because you're here for more than yourself. You're here for more than yourself. There are people that you can reach that nobody else can reach. There are people you can touch that nobody else can touch. Your example will mean more to others than some others can do. I come to tell you, each of you who are under the sound of my voice, those in the sanctuary, those who are watching by live stream, you're more powerful than any preacher because there are more of you. There are more of you than there are preachers. There are more of you than there are pastors. There are more of you than there are missionaries. God's word and his example flows through you. God is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God gave us this power. Why? To be witnesses. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has fallen upon you so that you can be my witnesses. You have great power, you have great authority, you have great purpose. And you need to begin to view yourself through the lens of God. If I have great purpose, then in the morning I need to pray and say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? Lord, touch my mind and my heart and my mouth, so I say only the things that are in line with my purpose. Lord, even when I'm on social media, the things that I share, the things that I like, the things that I post, guide me, Lord, so that I don't compromise my position in you. Just because I'm angry, just because I'm frustrated, just because I didn't like certain results in my own life. My purpose is too high for me to allow anger to compromise who I am. My purpose is too great to be so jubilant that I ostracize other people in my life. Don't only watch and observe how you go through, watch how you celebrate. Watch how you celebrate. Make sure you don't set aside people who are in your path, people who are aligned with your purpose just because of the condition of the moment. Because you're more important than that. I need to wake up in the morning and not see myself as a fragile human being. I don't need to look up in the morning and see myself as the job that I perform on a daily basis. I'm not just a fry cook. I'm not just an electrician. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a babysitter. I'm not just a daycare worker. I'm not just a member of the sanitation department. I'm not just a janitor. I'm not just a bank teller. I'm not just a bookkeeper. I'm more than that. I'm not just a nurse, I'm not just a doctor, I'm not just an EMT. I'm more than that. God has poured more purpose in me greater than what I simply do. What I do is just an, an opportunity of God to put me in the right position to meet and reach the people that he's assigned to me. My job is related to my position. It's, not, it's related to my assignment is not related to who I am. I'm greater than that job, but that job puts me in position. I'm like a chess piece that God has strategically placed so that I can be effective where I am. Let me never lose sight of the fact that I'm witnessing to somebody, even if I never open my mouth. Our lives are epistles that are read by men. Somebody is reading what I do. I have to be careful. I can't say everything that comes to my mind. I can't post everything that comes to my mind. I can't share everything that comes to my mind. My assignment is too great to be caught up in the emotions of the moment. God expects much more of me. And I would be hurt if I went up to be judged by God. And he gave me a list of the people that I lost, the people that I had an opportunity to witness to. But because I was selfish, because I was emotional, because I was too jubilant, because I was too angry, I lost my opportunity to minister to those people. Don't lose anybody, your purpose is too great your identity is too strong, how do you see yourself? Every day you need to work on seeing yourself the same way that God sees you. Everyone standing in this place, can I pray with you? Let's lift those hands towards heaven and pray this prayer with me, say. Let's pray this prayer and say, Lord, help me to see myself the way you see me. Lord, help me to be reminded that my assignment is too great for me to compromise it in a few moments of anger, in a few moments of frustration, in a few moments of jubilation. My assignment is too great Lord, help me to vanquish any idol that stands in the way of my identity. Vanquish the idols that stand in the way of my purpose. The idols of ideology, the idols of politics, Lord, the idols of politicians, Lord. Lord, even the idols of feeling important, Lord. The idols of jealousy, Lord, the idols of lust, Lord. The idols of inappropriate relationship, Lord. Anything that is set before you, Lord, vanquish the idols that separate me from my identity. Because of who I am is only what you've called me to be. In Jesus' name. Lord, there may be someone today who says, I'm not safe. My life is not in rightful relationship with you wherever you are, if you'll lift those hands with me and pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your glory. And I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for all of my sin. Please forgive me. Lord, I need you to wash my heart Wash my mind, wash me all over, Lord. Create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ was crucified. He died and was buried but rose again with all power in his hand. And today I claim him as my Savior and my Lord. Jesus, come into my heart and I'll make you my Savior and my Lord. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. If you said that prayer by faith, you said it with commitment in your heart, then you are saved, you are saved, you are saved. For those of you who are joining us by stream, we praise God for you. We pray that God's blessings be upon you this week. Until we shall see you again, may you be blessed.
1: And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah 3 and 15. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. Isaiah 52 and 7. Bright Temple, coming soon. Our pastor and first family love day. Sunday, November the 15th at 10 a.m. at Bright Temple. Come help us celebrate our pastor and first family with an offering of love, gifts, and monetary contributions. If you decide to come by on Sunday, November the 15th at 10 a.m., Please remember to practice social distancing. You can make your monetary contributions by GiveLify, Cash App, or by mailing your gift to the church. Please specify your contribution under Pastor Anniversary/Love Day. Thank you in advance for helping us celebrate our pastor and first family. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by. Give a five. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the 2 line. And in the 4 line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.